Um, I want to introduce um, our guest preacher this morning, Nina Balmaceda. Nina's uh, preached uh, three or four times here at Christ City. She's been a friend of us and of Christ City's for a long while. She um, is a professor. She's a missiologist. She's a preacher. Um, she's an activist. Uh, she was um, a professor at Nyack College up in New York. She's currently at Wheaton College. Um, and she leads an organization called Basia Esperanza. It's an organization that works throughout Latin America alongside individuals and families and communities that are experiencing poverty and violence. Pazia Esperanza emerged out of um, the aftermath of the Civil War in Peru, and uh, Nina's been leading this work along with her colleagues um, throughout Latin America. So she's in town, and so we asked her to just um, come and share with us um, this morning. The reading is from uh, passages out of Mark 5, verses 6 through 9, 27 through 30, and 39 through 41. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. And then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again to not send them out of the area. Verse 27, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in a crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she fell in her, felt in her body that she was freed from the suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Verse 39, he went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child's not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. And he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. This is the word of the Lord. Holy Spirit, we pray that you will speak to us this morning through Nina. Our sister, as she comes and um, opens this section of Mark 5, God, I pray that the things that she says to us, that they would take up residence in our hearts, they would change our minds and our living. God, I pray that you would speak through her this morning and that you would help us to hear the things that you intend for us to hear. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Welcome, Nina Bamaseda. Buenos días. Buenos días. Espero que todos hayan practicado bien su español. <laughs> it's such a delight to be with you this morning. I have been missing being here for such a long time. I used to work in DC once a week. So many Sundays, I would, before going home, I would spend Sunday morning here and I felt I was home. So coming back today, it feels so special to me. I remember that the last time I visited and I shared a brief message with you, I started crying. I don't remember what I was telling, but I remember I was crying. So I prayed, Lord, that I will not be so emotional today. Although <laughs> Mark 5 is such a powerful account of our Lord's life. And I think it's just an illustration of what was every day in his adult life. But before we go into the passage, I first of all, First of all, I have to give you warmest greetings, as we say in Spanish, abrazos, from all our brothers and sisters serving with peace and hope 
uh, in nine countries around the world, six of them in Latin America. We are currently working on starting a new office in El Salvador, for which I would really appreciate your prayers. I want to thank this church for much this, the, much the gigantic support we have received from all of you, um, not only financially, but especially in prayers, as well as companionship and friendship. So thank you so much. Um, so this passage, if we could please go to the, I have some illustrations for you. Um, these were just some images of how the Lord met people as he was walking in the land of Palestine. And um, this is an invitation for all of us, myself included, to rediscover our Lord as a teacher, as a savior, and as a redeemer. So my question to you today is how does the life of Christ impact us, especially in the way we live with each other? And particularly when the other is somebody who suffers. When the other is someone who is vulnerable, whether because of his or her condition or his or her circumstances. So you probably remember very well uh, this passage uh, that is accounted for in Luke 10. Our Lord was approached by a very powerful person of his time in Palestine at the time, a Hebrew teacher. He came and asked the Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Which is obviously a very relevant question. The Lord, knowing that he was a man who knew the law, said, well, what does the law teach? And the response was, well, love the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. And yeah, love your neighbor as yourself. And so the Lord says, great, go and do that. So this man, who was a teacher of the law, felt very uncomfortable. <laughs> and so in order to make himself first, uh, feel better, he said, yeah, but I am not clear who my neighbor is. And that's how this incredible story came to life. He started to describe basically the reason why he came to the world. He is that good Samaritan who has come and found each one of us laying on the floor because we have been attacked by our sin, by our own sin, and some may have been attacked by others. And that is our Lord Jesus. It is so interesting to see that as he is responding to this question, I don't want to un, you know, underestimate this incredibly important question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Our Lord responds in terms of how do you treat your neighbor, especially your neighbor who is vulnerable, your neighbor who has been uh, due to his or her condition or due to his or her circumstances who is laying down there and nobody wants to come and rescue them. I think this is something that deserves reflection. We know this story by heart, don't we? You could tell it. I'm pretty sure if I could ask you, tell your neighbor the story of the Good Samaritan. You can say it almost literally. But this is the thing. Our Lord congratulated the young man who had this question for knowing the meaning of the law, he could recite it, he could say it. This is what Leviticus says, this is what Deuteronomy says. 
This is what the Torah teaches. But then the Lord turns it and says, Can you see that you cannot be holy without neighbor? Can't you see that you cannot love unless there is someone there to love? You cannot be compassionate unless there is a neighbor who needs your compassion. And certainly we cannot work for justice for ourselves. That is not biblical justice. We work for justice to stand up for the rights of others. So in this story, the Lord is explaining with a parable what he is living every day. So I'm, I'm taking now Mark 5, which we read, um, to talk about how the Lord lived as a teacher that walked the lands of Palestine, teaching the word of God and explaining the law to people who already knew it. And I'm going to go next, please, to the passage of Mark 5. And Pay attention to three encounters. Again, I think these are just illustrations of many, many other encounters. The first one has to do with the Lord was really tired. He got in a boat, went to the other side of the lake, and arrived to the land of the Genesarines. Well, Genesareth, that's the right name. Genesarines. You probably remember this passage. There was this young man who was possessed. And he was a dangerous person. He was chained, he would break the chains. He couldn't control himself, he was violent. He was feared by his community. So the Lord, who was supposed to be looking for rest, comes down the boat, meets this man, and asks him a question. What is your name? And this poor man, Obviously, he was not in control. It was the demons that were controlling him responded, we are legion, because there is many of us in control of this person. And you know the rest of the story, right? A powerful expression of God's incredible mercy healing this man. But there is this particular aspect of the story. The demons were begging the Lord not to throw them into the abyss. So they had like a plan B. Okay, we cannot inhabit this man. How about these pigs over there? And for some reason, the Lord says, okay, do that. Now, I don't think the Lord necessarily wanted to be kind to the demons. And I don't think the Lord hates pigs. He loves his creation. <laughs> Nothing wrong with the pigs. And yet, in that great power that he used to free that poor human being, he demonstrated also another power, the power to know our hearts. So what happens after the demons go into the pigs, the herd of pigs? The pigs started to run, they went crazy, and they threw themselves into the abyss. The reaction after that, there was this young man, he was clean, he was wearing clothes, he was having a good conversation with Jesus. The reaction of the community was, wonderful, Lord Jesus, could you please come and live with us, stay with us, because this thing you've done with our brother is incredible, and we love you, and we thank you. Was that the response of the community? They were enraged. I, I, don't, want, I don't mean that everyone in the community was enraged, but they were enraged. And the Bible says very clearly, they were fearful. 
they were truly scared of what had happened. They didn't understand that this incredible power of Jesus rescuing a human being was the most special and the best demonstrations of God's will for humanity. They were concerned because they lost their pigs, which rightfully, it was their source of income. And that was more important to them than what had happened to their brother. Let's move on, please, to the next story. Jesus now is invited to leave the town. I'm sure they used some adjectives that I will not repeat. I don't speak Hebrew, so I cannot curse in Hebrew, but, or Aramaic in this case, to be more exact. But he is invited to leave because they were too afraid of him. You see, this power is not a power that is welcomed by everyone because it may represent loss, especially loss of comfort, loss of security, loss of not, you know, the, we are comfortable and we don't want to be surprised, especially we don't want to lose materially. We want to keep the way we are, comfortable and with sufficient means. But the power of God comes and it's present and it threatens them and makes them very afraid. So the Lord leaves the town of Jerusalem, Genesareth, and uh, he starts to, uh, to walk. And Jairus comes up. And again, you know very well the story. This is a very different kind of person. From a moment our Lord has been working with the most despised human being, somebody who had lost control, who was under the power of the enemy, rejected by his family and his community. And now he, the most, one of the most powerful men who is suffering, probably a rich man, because if you were a teacher of the law, different from today, <laughs> if you were a teacher of the law, you probably had a very good status and reasonable uh, material wealth. But he is in need. Jairus is suffering. And he comes, he runs to Jesus, he throws himself at his feet, and he begs for the life of his daughter. Our Lord, moved by mercy and love, and especially love for children, he accepts to go to Jairus' house and see how the daughter is doing. So as you remember the story, right? As he is walking, lots of people came with him because who doesn't want to be uh, present and become a witness of a miraculous healing? So they are walking with them and people are pressing him and this woman comes. This woman that probably at least 12 years had not experienced a human touch. A woman, according to the testimony of Mark, had lost everything she, she owned. She was in extreme poverty. She was very ill of a very debilitating illness. The doctors had taken everything she had. And the story doesn't tell us anything about her family. I cannot tell you for sure, but I imagine this was a very lonely woman because of her illness, according to the law, had made her impure. Anyone that would touch him would be impure, could not come and serve the Lord, could not come and worship him, at least not in the synagogue, much less in the temple. So this woman, with the very little strength she has left, makes her way in the multitude and touches our Lord's garments from the back, hoping that nobody could tell. And she had such a powerful faith in her complete extreme poverty. She had something that maybe people who are more comfortable will never experience. She had faith that if she could just touch 
this man who had who could so clearly interpret the law for her, for everyone, she would be healed. And the testimony of Mark tells us that she was trembling, that she was afraid. Our Lord, you see, many times when our Lord made a miracle, he actually gave very specific instructions not to tell people, right? Do you remember? Many, many times he was healing, he was transforming conditions, Especially my favorite one, changing water into wine. No, I shouldn't say, never, never say that when you preach. <laughs> Just don't tell others, because faith should not be for interest, right, of these benefits that he can do for you. But this time he's walking and people are pressing him, and he feels the touch, not, not the human touch, but that something has happened, something powerful, miraculous has happened, and he cannot wait to find this person, and he turns around, and ask, who has touched me? As this poor woman, trembling, has to come forward to thank him, to say, Lord, thank you for touching me, for giving me my, giving back my help. Our Lord turns around, and now I'm going to make a very Latin American Jesus. I am really not sure he did this, but had he been Latin American, he would have turned around and give him a big abrazo. Now, I'm not sure. At the time, probably men would not hug women <laughs> uh, publicly, so I don't know really whether this image actually happened, but it is very clear that as he turned to her, his words of love and affirmation, and he made sure everybody knew that she was a woman of faith. She was no longer the despised woman. She was no longer the impure woman who would contaminate the community. She was welcomed back as a daughter of God who had faith. So this happened, and you probably think, well, this is plenty. This is enough. He has done so much already. But he decided to continue his walk towards Jairus' home. And as he walks there, there's something um, happening. People are crying. People are wailing. Something terrible has happened. This beautiful girl, this precious daughter of Jairus, the leader of the community, has passed away. And he comes and once again says, don't be afraid. His power is equally real for people who are completely in the outskirts of society, in the margins, as for those of us who are not realizing our vulnerability, and yet we have such desperate need of him. Jairus was desperate. His wife was desperate. And they come, and the Lord invites everyone to leave, except for the parents and his closest friends uh, among the disciples, and invites them to pray with him. And he gives the order for her to come back to life. An ending hope in a world of hopelessness. It is so amazing to see that the first thing he thought about when this girl was brought back to life is, would you have some food for her, please? Because this is not only about her soul. This is not only about her spirituality, which is obviously very important. It was about all of her. Because the Lord looks at us not as souls, independently of who we are and our needs. He was so focused on 
showing us and showing his disciples, and especially her parents, that this little girl, who meant nothing in his, in his time, in her time, little girls meant nothing. Their value was completely eliminated, even for little boys. But if you were a little girl, forget it. And the Lord is showing them how much God cares for little girls, how much God cares for important people like Jairus and for people who wouldn't even be touched by their member, the members of their community, of their own families. As our Lord was walking the land of Palestine, he was being a good Samaritan to everyone he met. Now you may think, of course, that's our Lord Jesus, and he had the power. But what's, what is that for us? What is the calling for us today? Well, brothers and sisters, we are surrounded by neighbors. Neighbors in need who are close, but neighbors in need who are far away. In a world that has become so interconnected, it seems that these needs, the most fundamental needs of love, of provision, of food for a girl, of restoration for a man or a woman that has been possessed or controlled by forces not of his own, not of their own. Those needs are still here. They surround us. Everywhere we turn, there are people who need to be a neighbor to us. It is my joy and my privilege to serve, to be a servant of peace and hope. And I want to give you testimony of how we try, with your help, with your prayers, with the partnerships of different churches around the world, to do exactly this. And I must confess, I haven't seen a resuscitation yet. But what I have seen is people as despised as that woman who had that terrible illness. I've seen people as despised as that poor man controlled by forces, whether it's drug addiction, whether it's uh, evil possession. And I have seen families whose children were despised, whether because of cultural reasons or because of race or because of material conditions, come to be whole again, come to, be, to experience the redemption of our Lord. So I want to invite you to please consider, and actually I want to invite you to continue considering, because I know that if you are a member of this church, you are already doing this, how we are instruments of this incredible person who governs the universe and yet he came to touch those that nobody wants to touch. He came to give life to people who have no value in their own society. And as we walk together, like he walked on this earth, may we be instruments against fear and for hope. Could you please join me in a word of prayer? Our dear Lord, there is so much more that could be said, and yet we know that your kingdom is not a kingdom of words. May your Holy Spirit be transforming us to become your hands, your feet, your voice of affirmation to those whose dignity has been taken away. Father, as you bless this church, I pray that each one of my brothers and sisters will understand 
and will cultivate this profound love of neighbor, not for self-interest, not for self-affirmation, not to feel good about ourselves, but to rejoice in the fact that we are being Christ to those who suffer around us, near and also far away. In the name of our Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.